You are listening to the 90 Days Later podcast with Anna Charles, episode 41. Welcome to the 90 Days Later podcast where I show you how to stop over drinking in 90 days without missing out on life. If you're not an alcoholic but fed up with saying yes to a drink when you mean to say no, you're in the right place. Hi all again and welcome back to the podcast. So I talk, as you know, a lot about desire and pleasure in my work. It is, after all, our desire for the alcohol that causes the pleasure, which is what we seek when we drink. So today I want to talk on a related topic, that one of anticipated pleasure. Now, I used to find this so perplexing when I was trying to get my arms around drinking. I just couldn't figure out what was going on in this realm of anticipated pleasure. Uh, So some of you might be wondering the same thing, so I thought I would delve into it. And what I found was that the reason I found it so perplexing was that I was actually fairly skilled at the knack of anticipated pleasure without having realized. So this was another really, another one of those desire loops um, that I had taught myself actually from a very early age and you might find the same thing too. So let's start with, you know, really what, what do I mean by this anticipated pleasure? The easiest and simplest way for me to describe this is to take myself back to when I was a child and Christmas was coming up and I'm talking here maybe from about, I don't know, back to school days from about September into October and certainly in November right this feeling of anticipated pleasure and if I sit with myself now and take myself back I can still generate this feeling at will in my body right so the situation in our household was obviously father Christmas was coming such a huge deal and uh, the traditions in our family we would have presents in a stocking it was a woolen stocking made this really crackly sound still gives me the shivers actually when I think about it today at my age um, anyway, so we would have stockings on Christmas Eve. We put empty stockings on the end of our bed and then Father Christmas would come in the night and we'd have all these little presents, these gifts. And there's just something about the way wrapping paper and wool- a woolen stocking sounds when moved on the end of the bed. It's, it's something else. So we'd have that and then we'd have all the presents under the tree. And, you know, I'd really look forward to remember this one year I was going to get a wardrobe for my Cindy doll. I was going to get a bed for my Cindy doll. I mean, these lovely bits of plastic, moulded plastic. And there was a year I got the, wanted the big Alice doll. She stood quite high and she, and she talked, you know, through this mechanism. And it was just such a thrill, right? This whole process. And when I think about Christmas and all the music and laughter and mum and dad, it's just, it's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, I could feel that huge sense of pleasure months before Christmas. I mean, so easily, very strongly from September onwards. And it would spike and spike and spike the closer we got to the actual day, to the extent that I almost didn't want Christmas to arrive, as I knew that that would mean that this feeling would stop until it sort of restarted the next year. And if that example of Christmas doesn't resonate for you, Look at, I mean, I always look at, I'm always intrigued at how uh, lottery winners react, right? So they they have the winning ticket and you know, they're told it's a winning ticket and how do they feel? And they talk about they're being very excited and they just can't believe it and they're over the moon and all these things. But actually in that moment, nothing has really changed, 
right? They, they don't have the money in their hands. The money isn't in their account. It's got to go through all these checks and balances, I'm sure. And so what they're talking about here is this sort of anticipated pleasure. They have a feeling in the moment as to what is coming, right? They can smell it, they can see it, but it's still out there in the future, right? That is another example of anticipated pleasure. Now, why does this happen? Well, the simple answer is it's a chemical reaction in our bodies. It's dopamine at work, our good old friend dopamine. Now, dopamine isn't known as the feel-good neurotransmitter for nothing. Dopamine gives you a sense of pleasure, right? It also gives you the motivation to do something when you're, you know, in order to get that pleasure. Dopamine is effectively part of the human reward system. It is part of how we are wired. I like to look at dopamine as being the desire drug, right? It's really that neurotransmitter in the brain that creates desire. And that's why, back to the Christmas example, we can feel pleasure even with our thoughts, right? You can just by thinking about it, you can generate that level of desire for the thing in your brain with the dopamine so that you you can feel, almost touch the pleasure that you're going to feel at some point in the future, this anticipated pleasure. And this is so, so important with alcohol, especially as most of us, and certainly my clients who are very intelligent, they're very in control of their lives, they're highly functioning, um, right? And all of that's going on and yet they continue to drink. And there's an element here with drinking that is different I think to other habits that we might have other overeating habits for instance when we tend to drink in the evenings this is an evening pursuit maybe there'll be a lunchtime drink too but mainly for my clients it's in the evening um, that's because it's become from society it's the accepted time to drink right? we don't find it acceptable to drink at 10 so and we haven't taught ourselves to drink at 10 in the morning so we don't drink at 10 in the morning with the exception, I have to add, of a lovely chap who used to do gardening for us when he uh, would drink beer um, as he was out in the garden. And that was because he worked all night. And so by the time he got to our garden, it was effectively his evening. And yes, this was his choice to um, work at that time. Right? We didn't demand that of him. Anyway, just saying, so um, we've got this thing where we drink in the evenings. So what happens with this is that because we're on that schedule, our anticipated pleasure for alcohol grows and grows and grows during the day, right? How this looks is at any point in the day, even if you're not drinking yet, and even I would argue, if you don't really want to drink, you know that there's a possibility that's coming. And as the day shifts and as you know, you get maybe a little more ratty and things, frustrations come, you feel overwhelmed and all the rest of it. You, you'd seek solace. Well, I would seek solace. And I knew this back in the day, it would seek solace in the fact that the opportunity for alcohol is coming. And there is immense pleasure in just knowing that, right? I could be talking here, you know, it's two, three, four in the afternoon. You don't desperately feel an urge to drink, but just knowing Right? You just know that that possibility, that that's in your future. You get anticipated pleasure from that. Pleasure just comes from your thinking. So what happens right, when we start to resist uh, our desire for alcohol and why you know, willpower and so on doesn't work is when you start denying that desire, 
even early on in the day, and this shows up in the ways that, no, I'm, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I just can't. I can't drink tonight. I said, I'm not going to drink tonight. I'm really not going to drink tonight. Cross fingers, I'm not going to drink tonight. The pleasure that you would have got all day thinking about the wine that's coming is now not there. Right, so your brain gets very angry about this. You're now denying yourself not only the pleasure of the drink at the end of the day, you're denying yourself the pleasure now in the day of, of anticipating that drink. All right, so let's back up a little bit. Why is anticipated pleasure a problem? After all, during the day when this is happening, for instance, in my examples above, you're not actually even indulging in the activity, the drinking, that creates the pleasure. So you could argue, in fact, your brain might argue, what's the big deal, right? It's okay. It's okay to be thinking about this and getting ready for this and looking forward to this. So let's explore why this actually is something that we should um, be aware of and look at. First, so let's look at pleasure. So pleasure is, is clearly something that makes us feel good. And we get pleasure from all sorts of things. And this can largely boil down into two types of pleasure. It's probably more, but I like to keep it simple. Right, so there's what I would call natural pleasure and there's artificial pleasure. There are lots of natural pleasure that we get in life. Holding a loved one's hand, seeing a spring flower. I just love to see the cowslips when they come out to bloom in the spring. Going for a walk in the sunshine, playing with your children, eating an apricot. Maybe, you know, just just standing still and letting your mind wander. Those are all natural pleasures. We like to feel pleasure. These are good. This is a good thing. Right? It's part of our human motivational triangle. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that we get pleasure from eating food because food is essential to our survival. So the apricot I mentioned just now is, you know, is a natural pleasure. and It's essential for us to eat so that we'll carry on surviving and would actually then motivate us to go out there and hunt back in the caveman days face the dangers and actually hunt so that the species would survive now that's all well and good but as humans what's happened is that we like pleasure so much and we like being inventive and we are very inventive creatures that we've boiled down pleasure and concentrated it to make it even more intense so it doesn't just feel stronger but it's now really quickly attainable. And this explains why, you know, in my apricot example, you might love apricots. Maybe you can eat three apricots. I think that's great. Could you eat another six apricots? Possibly. But, you know, probably at that stage wouldn't be saying, yeah, give me more, <laughs> give me more apricots. Whereas with wine, if you like wine, it's why it's so easy to drink one, then two, then three, then four, then five. And it can seem it's sort of never ending, right? It's because the level of pleasure you're getting from it is so intense and as I said it's very quick acting as well if you're feeling tense and pressured and so on and you want to uh, relax and calm down boy oh boy will a glass of white wine or whatever wine do the trick very nicely and efficiently so that's really the first thing to realize we have this drive as humans towards pleasure and that we have made getting pleasure easily attainable by things like alcohol by distilling and concentrating and making it so intense but we've taken this whole desire pleasure system a step further and we've become quite entitled to feeling good we've taught ourselves actually to expect and demand pleasure on a regular basis almost at any cost because we just don't want to feel bad 
right? We ex and we therefore expect to feel good, even though A, this isn't possible, and B, it's not something really to aspire to either. Let's say your friend leaves town. Well, you're going to feel a bit of a sense of loss, I imagine. If you lose your job, it's going to be natural to feel bad or feel frustrated. You know, these are not situations where you're going to want to feel, oh, yeah, it's all so happy, right? There's a natural rhythm to life. And this would be one of those times when you think not feeling so great, but that's OK. And I would argue that even if everything were perfect all of the time, every day, right, you got exactly the most brilliant life that you ever want. We wouldn't actually know it. We wouldn't realize we were having a fantastic life because pleasure also comes from our contrast of our experience in our life. We feel huge pleasure from doing something like passing an exam that we really had to study for. Right? That was quite an achievement for us. Whereas if you could just walk in and pass the exam without doing any study, it wouldn't give you such a high of experience, right? You wouldn't have the contrast. So when we have this sense of expectation, as though we deserve the right to feel pleasure, if we can't feel good in our lives, we can't get enough of that sense through natural pleasures, we plug the gap through artificial pleasure. Enter, stage left, alcohol. And as I briefly alluded to earlier, this doesn't take a lot of effort. And by the way, that's another thing our brains like. Our brains like to do as little as possible, as efficiently as possible. So what happens is when we don't feel great in our lives, we aren't getting enough um, natural pleasure. So we plug the gap with alcohol. And then what we end up doing is we end up actually sort of holding our lives at arm's length. We end up putting off our lives. We don't look beneath to see what's going on as to why we feel the need to supplement or spice up our lives with alcohol. This can feel very confusing to some of my clients when they say, look, I've got a really fabulous life. I have no need, you know, to drink. And yet I do. And they don't understand what's going on there. And I think it's still linked, though, to this idea we have or this um, entitlement we feel to come up with ways to feel good in all situations. And you see this if you look at the full gamut um, of the reasons why we drink. Right? If you had a bad day, your friends left, you lost your job or it's Friday or you feel a bit off or you, know, you, you think you deserve it or you need to relax or all of these reasons. What you see, if you were to list them all out, is that this ends up being most of the time. Most of the time in your life, you have this desire and this sense of entitlement to feel good. And we've what's happened, it's very simple, so, so many of these things are when it comes to changing your drinking, we've just taught ourselves artificial pleasure like drink is the way we deal with our feelings anticipated pleasure is an offshoot of this it's just the sneaky way of doing this it kind of beds the pattern in um, earlier in the day and what that means with anticipated pleasure is that we could ignore feeling bad now you know whatever point that is in the day because we are definitely going to feel better later and we're going to achieve that through the alcohol but there's more to it than this. It's not just the human need, right, desire to feel good all the time. 
that is that gets us into the situation. Another piece of it is that we've outsourced our pleasure, right? So we're now reliant on alcohol to feel that. Sitting in peace at a beautiful sunset, it's a wonderful experience, but it's just not going to compete with the intense immediate pleasure you get from wine. So what happens is, as we prefer that because it's quicker and more efficient, as I said, that's what the brain likes, we then normalise this. This is the way that we feel pleasure and that's why people end up saying, well, it's fun. It's fun to drink alcohol. It's fun to go out to the pub. It's fun to, you know, overindulge. Even though many people, if you talk to them long enough, will say, well, actually, I know it isn't, but, but hey, hang on. No, that is how we get fun. So as I said, what happens is we normalise this as a way to feel pleasure but then that has repercussions and then we start to need the alcohol just to start to feel normal. And this is when it becomes more of an automatic pour yourself a glass at the end of the day habit. I'm still not talking here about physical addiction. I'm talking about sort of an, an emotional attachment to the alcohol. And when we don't get that pleasure, we do actually feel emotional withdrawal. We might not see it physically in our bodies, uh, but when we have, we're expecting some sense of relief and release as the evening comes and we don't give it we that's gone then we can feel pretty angry about this right and take that to an extreme and that's when you start to get into addiction territory but way before you have any kind of physical addiction you can have this emotional attachment to alcohol and the sense of pleasure it is going to give and here's the really nutty thing about this my friends the alcohol doesn't even make our lives better it just very temporarily feels better, but life as a whole gets worse, right? It's not as though you've made your life better from the artificial pleasure. You haven't done anything about the things that were causing you to drink. You haven't resolved any of the problems that made you want to drink in the first place. It's actually worse because now you're getting a bit of a drinking habit going on. So you're going to have lots of judgment all around and more reason to drink and more reason that it's hard to stop right? So you don't like the fact that something's going on in your life. So you drink to avoid it. And then you judge the fact that you're drinking, then you feel bad that you're drinking. So you drink to stop feeling bad that you're drinking. Whoa, whoa, whoa. More and more and more pleasure is going to be needed. So here's what actually is happening, right? So this, this sort of segue into what to do about it. And it's all linked back to our, that expectation to feel good. Looking at our lives without the artificial hit of pleasure is very important. That's when you really see the truth of your life. You'll see really what's happening at every moment, right? Even if it means we're having a flat tire, right? Having a flat tire, you might say, oh my gosh, you know, I need a drink to cope with that. Well, do you, right? Because it's not part of the human experience to feel fabulous all the time. If you get a flat tire, it's gonna happen you're probably not going to feel very happy and that's okay, right? We are designed to be able to handle things like that. And then we've made this worse, as I say, by outsourcing our pleasure to the alcohol. And an offshoot of this is what happens is that we start to defend this, right? And we sort of demand uh, that we continue uh, looking after ourselves and we're giving ourselves pleasure in this way with desire creating thoughts right we say things like oh, i want a drink or i need a drink right you know if anybody deserves a drink to be dealing with this flat tire it's me but i would offer that anyone 
thinking those thoughts is probably going to want a drink, right? This isn't just something that's happening to you. You are the one creating this. Another consequence of this I see is you're not just outsourcing your pleasure to alcohol, you're actually outsourcing your sense of control, right? So we make wine responsible for giving us pleasure in the evening. So I would ask yourself, what would it be like for you to not have wine tonight? Just maybe pause the podcast and sit with that and think of what comes up. And actually, you might find uh, your answers are different depending on what time of day you are listening to this. And what I want you to understand is that if you keep using pleasure as a so artificial pleasure, like alcohol, as a solution for any negative emotions that you've got coming up, you're going to create, keep creating negative consequences for yourself, which means you're going to keep creating the need for more solutions for your negative emotions because you're creating an inordinate amount of negative emotion. I'll say that again, you're going to keep creating the need for more solutions to tackle your negative emotions because you're going to be creating an inordinate amount of negative emotion. Now, I realize this is a really hard sell, right? What I'm asking you to choose between is discomfort at the idea of not having a glass of wine tonight. So foregoing that anticipated pleasure and versus feeling your emotions and being able to sit there and feel that that lack that you will feel in the moment because you are, you know, you're going to be denying yourself tonight. So that all sounds pretty brutal, but don't worry there is a solution to this and it's simple. I always talk about this work is simple, not easy, but simple. So the solution is to step back and just take a look at the pleasure in your life. So if you answer that question I posed just now, right, what would it be like for you to not have wine tonight? And if you find that agitating, that my friend is very interesting. I want you to just see what comes up for you there. All right, so then the question becomes, what is our life like without that kind of manufactured pleasure? And do this by looking at your life. Maybe let's say there's one day where you're going to have wine and one day where you're not going to have wine. And to compare and contrast, you know, the level of dopamine thoughts of anticipated pleasure that you have coming up for you during those days. Which of those days is more representative as the truth of your life. I mean, don't, you know, don't be embarrassed or ashamed by it. If it is that, you know, your life is getting pleasure from the dopamine that comes from wine, accepting that and learning to talk or choosing to do something about it is a first step. If you know wine's there and you're going to have more, does that may feel more normal to you? Right? Just, just look at what you have created for yourself. And this is all about awareness. I don't think you should force yourself to stop drinking, right? I'm not, I've said often, I'm not the sober police. But I do offer for you to consider the idea that the dopamine you're getting during the day, knowing you're going to have a drink at night, is providing you with some level of comfort in your life. And what would happen if that went away? that thought and expectation that you're going to have alcohol, that it wasn't there, would you then feel agitated? 
And what's that all about? It's so important to pay attention to that agitation. Just because you find a layer of dissatisfaction in your life, that doesn't mean you have to stop drinking. And it doesn't mean you have to change it, right? You can do all of this analysis and it doesn't mean anything about the action you have to take around the drinking. But just that awareness about your own life is so important. And if you have a level of dissatisfaction with your life when you're not having the wine, let's say, on that second day, is that dissatisfaction coming from the fact that you're now accustomed to having the wine or is there some other area of dissatisfaction in your life that you are covering up? Looking at it like this gives you the option to ask if you want to do something about it or not. Finally, I would look at the words you use around alcohol. I talk about this all the time. I just can't resist slipping it in here. When people say things like, oh, that wine is just speaking to me. I love my wine. These are desire-creating thoughts. Just like I mentioned just now, anyone thinking these is going to be wanting desire. So of course you do. So of course these are giving you that sense of anticipated pleasure as well as pleasure in the moment. So what I want you to ask yourself above all else, if you find yourself in this cycle of uh, having these desire-creating thoughts that are creating this anticipated pleasure, Whenever that happens in the day, ask, just sit and ask, what do I need in this moment, right now? Do you need peace and quiet? Do you need more time for yourself? Right? What is it about what's happening that you are outsourcing the control and the uh, responsibility for, for your life and your well-being to alcohol that's going to come later in the day? Right? Where are you giving so much that you need to take more for yourself. I see this a lot. A lot of people don't, they don't want to be selfish, right? They are central to their homes. This happens with a lot of women that I see. Um, but, you know, it's so important to be able to put ourselves first as well. Have what we need so that we don't get stuck in this trap of anticipating pleasure, kind of saying, oh yeah, it's going to be all okay because at six I know I'm allowed to open that wine. Okay, so in summary, humans are wired to want pleasure and move towards pleasure, but there's a huge difference between natural and artificial pleasure. Anticipated pleasure can have the same impact actually as real pleasure, where we look forward to it. We look forward to the wine even before you've drunk anything. And I want you to consider the impact if that wine was taken away. How would you feel then? I want you to encourage you to be aware of all the sources of pleasure in your life, right? All the natural pleasure. You might not even recognize or see it because it kind of just gets so overshadowed by the very intense pleasure of alcohol. But look for those natural pleasures in your life. Looking, and you can do this in part by looking at your life, not through the filter of alcohol and through the filter of that artificial pleasure that it delivers. The other piece we covered was that if you are telling yourself you're not going to drink tonight and you get some feelings of dissatisfaction from that, does that feeling of dissatisfaction come from the lack of alcohol or does it come actually from something that's going on in your life? Do spend your time doing this because whether we like it or not, desire and seeking pleasure and by um, extension anticipated pleasure are key motivators for us humans. So learning how to harness this 
to get the results that we want is a very smart move. And if you think that you're getting too much pleasure and anticipated pleasure from alcohol, I can help. You can join my list. I send out a regular email that contains really good stuff. If you're not on it, you're missing out. So you can join my list on HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash 90 days later dot co forward slash list or if you would like to have a conversation with me to understand how I could help you in your very personal context uh, change your relationship with alcohol you can uh, go ahead and go to 90dayslater.co and there's a big blue button on the top press that you can book a call or alternatively you can email me on email me rather on anna at 90dayslater.co I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I will see you next week If you like what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take the work further and achieve total freedom around alcohol let's talk I help my clients stop reaching for that first glass of wine the moment 6pm rolls around and they don't miss out on life and we do it in 90 days the effect is permanent Email me for more information on Anna at 90dayslater.co. And if you did enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd leave a rating and review to help others find the 90 Days Later podcast.